I'm Victoria Doherty, and welcome to the cold. Cold, well, we are in the Storyteller's Church, where, um, well, where we talk about story in one way or another, whether it's our personal stories or whether it's stories that we're writing, um, stories that are true, made up, and everything in between, and, um, you know, figuring out how to tell the best story that we can and look at a story with a cold eye, right, but never a cold heart. And this week, we are continuing our autopsy of the fairy tale genre and also building our own fairy tale, um, building it, you know, using all of the elements that we're talking about. And this week we are talking about friendship um, and the role that it plays in a fairy tale. Um, Balthazar Gratian said, friendship multiplies the good of life and divides the evil. It's very wise. I hope I pronounced his name right, Balthazar Gratian, but I love that. I love that quote. Um, and I think that that really gets to the core of the role friendship plays um, in um, in myths and fairy tales, and and I think in this genre, in the fairy tale genre, friendship is love's handmaiden. The true friend sees the importance of clearing the path for love to bloom. In most cases, the triumph of the lovers over evil is not only a satisfying romantic end for the two characters in love, but it has far-reaching effects for the whole realm. Their love equals order restored and prosperity for the region over which they will govern or in which they live. And I mean, probably the most classic example of this trope is in Snow White, both in the original Brothers Grimm version and in Disney's more sanitized story. The seven dwarfs become true friends of Snow White. I mean, they love and protect this young woman, offering her their home. Well, after they find her in their home, but they do offer her their home to share after her escape from the evil queen. They warn her about not talking to strangers or letting them in the house. And although Snow White ultimately does not heed their advice, um, in the end, the dwarfs are instrumental, not only in Snow White's awakening, after she eats the poison apple given to her by the disguised queen, but in reuniting her with the prince. The dwarves become de facto heroes by making it possible not just for Snow White to survive, but to take her rightful place as the true princess of the realm. With the prince, and Snow White married and installed as rulers after the evil queen is deposed and killed, the region 
once again is free to thrive. Now, incidentally, in the Brothers Grimm version of Snow White, the evil queen is unmasked as the villain, um, actually at the prince and Snow White's wedding. And the prince is a bit more of an alpha in the original tale, and he tortures the evil queen by making her dance in iron slippers that had been heated on the fire. She dies shortly after, and, well, Disney glossed over that bit. But um, without further ado, let's let's get into part seven of Romakai. Romakai, our fairy tale in the making. Um, and this week, we are focusing on the friendship element of this story. You can't be serious, Sybil said. She could not take her eyes off of Count Furfer's necklace, although the one Lionel gave Romakai was far prettier the water girl's estimation. I am serious. Sybil shook her head and took a deep sip of the exquisite red wine that Romakai's lover had provided for them. Romakai, for such an old creature, you seem to lack any wisdom at all. Count Furfer will take you to hell forever if you do not take that necklace off before you or Lionel dies. <sighs> if you thought you hated the pond, don't you see how much worse is such a bargain? Do you not understand the concept of forever? Sybil could not stop shaking her head. My friend, Romakai said, my first true friend in so long. You're right to worry for me and even be sad for me but I am right in my valuation of forever. See, you judge forever by time, whereas I judge it in the bonds we make. And as I will love Lionel forever, I'm willing to give him forever. Well, Sybil did not think she was right. In fact, Sybil thought the water girl had lost her mind. Have you shared any of this with Lionel? Romakai took the green stone of the necklace Lionel had given her and held it in her hand until it became as warm as her palm. If I tell Lionel, we'll never again be happy. He'll either insist I take off the necklace or the specter of my future will haunt our every waking moment as we try to enjoy the time we have left. This time, Sybil did not merely take a drink of her wine, but finished the glass, then poured herself another. Ramakai, I understand that you wish to have a few happy years, but at some point, Lionel will wonder why you aren't aging. You're going to have to tell him something. Ramakai knew there might come a time when she would have to tell him and she dreaded that day. She didn't want Lionel to feel responsible for her decision. The thought of him being happy made her happier than the thought of Count Furfur made her sad. But she also knew the nature of curses. Unless they were broken, 
they tended to tighten around the neck of the accursed. Just as she became more beautiful as the seconds ticked away, so did her choice regarding her future become more powerful. In time, she didn't know how long, it would become harder and harder to take the Count's necklace off of her own volition. She would be called to hell not when she was ready, when she and Lionel had had their fill of love, if that was even possible, but when Count Furfur was ready, when he had drunk enough of the love he had made possible, when he could watch, but never experience for himself. Promise me, Romakai said, promise me that you won't ever tell Lionel of my choice. Romakai, I don't wish to promise any such thing. Nevertheless, I want you to. As my truest and best friend, I ask that you honor my wishes. And as a witch, I know you can't lie when it comes to an oath between friends, especially if those friends have shared magic. Sybil folded her hands and looked deeply into Romakai's eyes. He will not hear it from my lips. I promise you. Sybil and Romakai finished their wine and made plans to see one another again by the weekend. Sybil was glad that her new friend would be living a fulfilled life while she was here in the physical realm, especially after having spent centuries in a small, cold body of water. But she could not be happy about Romakai's decision. Like any true friend, she wanted what was best for Romakai and knew that spending eternity at Count Furfur's side was quite possibly the most terrible thing that could ever happen to her. I'm learning how to cook, Romakai said cheerfully, as if she hadn't condemned herself to be the wife of an Earl of Hell. I should get started before Lionel comes home. I want to surprise him. Perhaps next time you come, you'll join us for supper. Sybil smiled and told her that would be lovely. As she walked out of the cottage, she took a long, sourful breath. It was a beautiful day, one of the first that smelled of spring. Down the road, Sybil could see Lionel walking towards the cottage, a lightness to a step. The kind of buoyancy that comes from being in love and looking forward to the moment he would lay eyes on his Romakai again, even if they'd only been apart for a few hours. Sybil desperately wanted to tell him about what Romakai had decided, what she was sacrificing for him. But the moment she even had such a thought, her throat felt as if it was closing up on her. She couldn't form a sound, let alone a word. Such was the bond of magic between two friends. The iron clasp of the word once a promise had been made. She closed her eyes and tried to rid her thoughts of Romakai and Lionel and Count Furfur. 
she uttered a prayer to all that is good in the world. When her eyelids fluttered open again, letting in the light, she noticed a small yellow mushroom at her feet. It was growing from between the walking stones that led to the road. Sybil bent down and pulled the mushroom from the earth, examining its smooth white stem, as thick as a thumb. Black spots covered its cap like freckles. For a nature witch, a mushroom, as long as it wasn't poisonous, was a fungus that denotes strong ties, particularly friendship. Sybil sniffed it deeply, then popped it in her mouth and ate it, thinking of Fromakai while she chewed. Lionel walked into the house, took a deep sniff. The house smelled of onions and butter, the venison he brought home from the market the day before, and something else. My friend Sybil found some mushrooms growing in the yard. Mushrooms, Lionel marveled. At this time of year? Romakai had been cooking from a recipe book she'd purchased in town, and so far her every effort had been delicious. She seemed to have a flair for flavors and thought nothing of adding an ingredient or taking one away if it didn't suit her. The only thing she didn't ever want to make was fish. They sat down to eat and talked of Lionel's research, of traveling to the far east together come summertime, and of the lunar eclipse that was coming in a few days. Romakai loved the moon. As for the greater part of so many years, 296 years, 21 days, 6 hours, and roughly 26 minutes, the moon and the fish in the pond had been her only company though she didn't tell Lionel that part. The moon will turn red and be totally eclipsed for about 14 minutes, he told her. And we'll have to stay up and watch it. Lionel remembered the last lunar eclipse he'd seen. It had been a couple of years earlier and he'd made a wish on the moon that night. He'd wished that before the next total lunar eclipse came, he would find a love, someone with whom he could spend his life. He told Romakai all about his wish, how it had come true, and she kissed him more than sweetly, more than passionately. She kissed him as if he meant everything to her. The sun, the moon, stars. He was all of those things. And as she kissed him, Romakai remembered every detail of the last lunar eclipse she'd seen before she'd been cursed with a pawn. Cressida had snuck her out of her house in her shift. It was an unseasonably warm night, so she could go out wearing only her shift. She brought nuts and an apple for them to eat and they'd watch the entire event from the bridge over the pond that would become her home, her prison. They'd watched in awe as the moon turned as red as a sunset, and the witch Cressida chanted a strange song that was one part whistle 
and one part whale. What was that? Ramakai had asked her. An offering, she said. A nature which should always sing an offering to the moon on the night of a total eclipse. It strengthens her powers and keeps them pure. Romakai wished she had the power of a nature witch. If she did, she would do something good for Lionel. But as things stood, all she could do was give him her love. And as he lay down to sleep, his belly full of her venison and mushroom stew, she stroked his hair and looked at him with as much love as she could bear. She watched his eyes grow tired and listened to his breath as it became slow and steady. His body became heavy and still, as still as she had ever seen him as he slept. Only he wasn't sleeping. Not exactly. He was deep in a dream that was more like another world. So vivid that its wind cut through his flannel pajamas. The old burrs on the ground dug into the soles of his feet, making him wince. It was an older world, this dream world, where a young woman with strawberry locks of hair beckoned him. She told him her name was Cressida, and she put her fingers to her lips so that he'd know to be quiet. She took his hand and led him deep into the forest. Where are we going? He whispered. To hell. So, I'll have to tune in next week for maybe, possibly, the last episode of Romakai, maybe the second to last episode. Um, and, uh, and we will start to wind this up with, um, you know, the last of the tropes that we are focusing on in this autopsy that we're doing of fairy tales. And in the meantime, um, I do urge you to go to my blog, also called Cold, um, www.victoriadoherty.wordpress.com. Um, I don't think we have to say the www or the .com part anymore, but I'm just so used to doing it. But please do go look and take a look at my cover reveal for uh, big book two of the Breath series. It's called Of Sand and Bone, and I'm just so excited by this cover. It is gorgeous. Um, and it, it really does communicate everything that I want to communicate to the, to the reader of um, history and ancients and love and an enchanted archaeological dig and mystery. I mean, all of these things. It, it, it's really a stunning cover by um, illustrator Alex ekman Lawn and um, put together by my wonderful book cover designer, Laura Drew. They are just magical and they are just the best and um really when i look for designers i don't just look for great designers i look for people who i think are are just the best at my genre and who get my work and who will communicate uh to the reader you know exactly what i want 
to be communicated. So please do go have a look because Of Sand and Brown is going to debut in September. And I'm just so excited. And you can read a summary on my blog as well. And, uh, you know, read a little bit about, um, about the breast series and what this is about. But in the meantime, between now and then, now and next week, that is, do stay cold, my friends. Thank you.